Oh, well, good morning. If this is your first time here, name is, my name is Brian. I'm in charge of the women's ministry here. And it's, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's, man, those women, I'll tell you. No, I'm not, obviously. Uh, I'm in charge of young adults, so it's just great having you here. Again, if this is your first time, um, we know it can be a little intimidating, so hang in there with everything. Uh, we'd love to get to know you. I think it was already mentioned. The Connect cards are right there in front of you. You can take it to the north entrance or the south entrance, get all this information and stuff. It's just great having you here. Um, but yeah, we're going to jump in. If you have your Bibles, we're in Matthew chapter 5. Um, and you came, hopefully, on a good morning, because when I, when I was finished with the last service, I went... Ooh, that was like a spiritual beatdown, but it's okay. Hopefully they'll come back. But yeah, I think there's something that God's trying to get our attention on. Um, and it starts in a passage that I think that we've seen before. If you've been brought up in the church, you've heard this. If you, have, if you had quiet times, uh, you've read this. This isn't anything new, except that maybe God is kind of putting this new spin on it to try to get us moving. Uh, so let's pray together. We'll jump into it. Jesus, thank you so, so very much for this morning. And thank you for giving us your word it still blows my mind that you, you took six days to create everything and then you spent 1,500 years giving us your word. And so I pray that we would just get in it and love it and love listening to you from it. And God, help us to change our lives or change us, God, as you teach us from it rather than us trying to change your word to fit our lives. So God, thank you so very much. Holy Spirit, have your way and teach us as only you can. We pray this in your name and everyone who agrees says amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, it wrecked me. Man, I, I kind of like not seeing that verse the way that I saw it a few years ago. It was much easier. Because if you think about it, being Christian, you can kind of believe anything you want today and be a Christian, right? I mean, that's kind of what it is. It's kind of, well, I, I, I believe in most of this. I don't believe in all the Bible, but I'm a Christian. You know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not practicing, but I'm a Christian, and we're, we're, we're okay when people say that, but we're not okay if somebody said, you know what, I'm married. I'm just not practicing. And that weird is like, you, look at, you hear someone say that, and you're like, what, how does that make sense? But when it comes to being a Christian, if someone says, you know, I believe in all that, I'm a Christian, I'm just not practicing, but I'm a Christian. It seems like so, so long as we just kind of end a phrase with, but I'm a Christian, you can kind of believe whatever you want. And why is that? Because scripture doesn't define what a Christian is. Jesus never even used the term. He never called his followers Christians. Do you know where it came from? Group of non-believers outside the church in Corinth, making fun of people inside the church, making fun of followers of Jesus. It was a derogatory term, not something to give them praise and credit, but to kind of put them down. So he says, oh, we got to come up with a name. Ah, uh, redneck. Nope. Already taken. Ah, uh, hick. Nope. Uh, that's already taken. Oh, crud. What are you going to do? Christians, yeah, I like that one. Yeah, they're stupid. Are you one of those Christians? See, if Jesus never used the term, what did he use? He says, if it, the world will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. Anyone who wants to be found worthy to be my disciple must pray a prayer then go on with your life? Or does he call us to something that is much bigger than we've kind of been, we've become okay with? So he says, if you want to be my follower and he wants to come after me, must. It's a requirement and it's for everyone. I remember years ago, 
when I was a youth pastor, a long time ago, the senior in high school said, you know what? I think all Christians are called to different commitments to Jesus. I was like, where did you come up with that? He goes, well, I just feel like some people are supposed to be super committed and other people don't have to be as committed. I'm thinking, man, but I'm a Christian. See, here comes Jesus going, if anyone wants to follow me, you must deny yourself. I don't like that one. Because don't you like your stuff? I mean, it's not just this, I'll keep all sex, drugs, rock and roll. I'll keep that away. It's not the bad stuff. It's all the good stuff that you have. Is there anything wrong with having a home? No, family, no. Is money evil? No, it's the love of money that's evil. Don't you like your stuff? I like my stuff. I like my iPhone. I do. So I'm like, droid, don't, we're not going to have a competition. Don't get all mad about what phone you have. Okay, don't you like, I like lazy boy chairs. I like having the cushy beds rather than sleeping on rocks. I like those things. There's nothing wrong with that. No. I like my family. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's mutual, but I like my family. <laughs> the fact that you would laugh hurts my feelings. <laughs> I like them. I like being around them. I like having, there's nothing wrong with that. But denying self doesn't mean just keep the bad away. Denying self means, okay, all this stuff that's mine, this is good, good, protect, hold on to it. No, no, no. Denying self means not doing this, but doing this. All of it belongs to Jesus. So deny yourself, pick up your death, pick up your cross, and then here's the invitation, follow me. See, that's always, the, that's always been the invitation for a disciple. It's never been pray a prayer so you can become a Christian. It's always been follow me so you can be a disciple. See, it's much different. If it's just about being a Christian, we can define that however we want. But when we want to be a disciple, we have to define it based upon Jesus' definition of it. And they're so, so different. So have you settled? Have you settled for just being a Christian? Have I? Or are we followers where everything is for him? Everything belongs to him. That I don't strive to create a reward on this planet. I don't strive to create heaven on earth. No, no, no. I work hard now to see that people come to know who Jesus is because I actually believe that my reward that is coming in the future is worth it. See, Christianity isn't. Did I hear that right? No, it's not worth it. Christianity's not worth it. Jesus always is. See, we can be Christian without Jesus and we're just like a religion like everyone else that doesn't know. Any other religion that's out there. If it's not a personal invitation following this invitation to follow Jesus, if it's not that, but just, hey, I got once a week, I can do that. I can even throw a buck in the, in the plate. I can spend time listening to that dude talk forever because those preachers never stop. I can sing some songs. I can do all the stuff as so long as it's one week, right? One day out of the week, I don't have to give up much of my life. It's not going to interrupt me. It's not going to interrupt you. It's going to destroy you. And then he's going to make you brand new. See, it's always been about Jesus. So Christianity, is it worth it? No. Is Jesus? Absolutely. See, so when we, when we respond to his invitation, follow me, our response will show, is Jesus worth it? Everything for his mission, everything for his purpose, all in, no matter what. So he gets to this verse in chapter five, verse one, and it wrecks you. 
Why? Because it says this. Seeing the crowds, he, meaning Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So why'd that wreck you? There's nothing in that. That's just like setting up the scene. No, did you see it? Because the few verses before that, there's this huge crowd of people. And Jesus is healing every single one of them, no matter what the problem is. See, Jesus invites the first disciples, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. They drop everything and take off. Why? Because a rabbi, one, a rabbi called them. And two, man, this life seems a lot better than just fishing. Don't get me wrong, I like fishing. But my favorite thing to do during fishing, you know what it is? Nap. And then why you put that pole in that little holder and stick a bell at the end? Because when that thing goes, you're like, I can, <laughs> not a lot of effort in that. Some people are like, you've never been fishing with me. Okay, if you are like WWE crazy fisher person, great. But most of the time it's this. <laughs> I got us food, babe. That, that's it. I like to fish, just not every day. To do that every day doesn't seem like it's worth much. So here comes Jesus. Man, I'll take what you know and give it purpose. I'll give an eternal perspective. It's an eternal calling, man. This thing is going to be huge. So he's healing people left and right, left and right. Now here's the thing. If you were in that day and you're two cities over and you hear about this guy and you hear that he can heal anything and you have something, how many of you would go so the rest of you just like to be sick. Okay. That is just, I'm serious. That is one of the weird, no, no, I like this. I like this constant limp. It's awesome. I, it's like a gangster walk. I mean, it's like, I don't, I think we would all go, wouldn't we? So the, all the crowds are there. There's thousands of people there and Jesus is healing them all. And then you get to chapter five, verse one. It says, okay, he sees the crowd. So then he goes up on a mountain, but who follows? The disciples, why? Because the disciples appreciate the stuff. But the disciple really wants Jesus. See, it's great to have the stuff, but I gotta be where Jesus is. Why? Because the invitation was follow me. So if he climbs the mountain, what's the follower do? Follows up the mountain. Wherever Jesus goes, that's where we go. And isn't it weird that Jesus said, go into all the world and make converts? No, go make disciples. But what does a disciple do? Disciple follows. And then so you'd be sitting there with your friends going, oh, okay, have you heard this guy preach? No, is he good? Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. He's so good, and storyteller, woo! One of the best ever. And then he starts off, this is his big, I mean, this is, this is his launching sermon. This is the big one. This is where all the people are going, okay, how do we improve our lives? How do we get out of this? Okay, here's Rome, they're all over us, they're killing us, so how do we do it? Jesus, lead us, and here comes Jesus with the news it's gonna change the world. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Did he just? I thought you said he was good. Well, hang on. He might have misspoke because, you know, all preachers do that. Then verse four, blessed are those who mourn. What? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And I, I imagine at some point, somebody, someone sits there and goes, no way. This is not right. Why? Because who was in charge in this day? Rome. Was Rome being meek? No. And here comes Jesus. Blessed, joy-filled are the meek. Why? They're going to inherit the earth. 
I'm going to be totally honest. If I was sitting there, I'd be sitting there looking at them going, liar? Because I'm looking at those Roman guards and they look like they're in charge and they're not gentle. In fact, they smack me around on the way over here. Doesn't this seem backwards? That word blessed actually means joy-filled, not just happy. See, happy is always based upon circumstances that we're going through. But joy-filled, no matter what's going on, there is this joy that we can have, not dependent upon circumstances. So Jesus goes on. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I'd just be sitting there, I'd, I'd stop taking notes. I wouldn't be filling in the blanks anymore. Someone over here is like, what was number four? I'd be like, who cares? This stuff's garbage. Because this isn't working. Because don't you feel like that sometimes? Isn't it weird we don't live in a world where this is the norm? How do I know? Because this isn't the norm for me. Is it the norm for you? No, Jesus is saying, this is what my followers will look like. Yeah, blessed are the, wait, you're going to tell me? Joy-filled are the bummed out, the crying, the gentle, the people always trying to make peace. Joy-filled are the the persecuted? Seriously? Isn't it great to know that it's all those people, though? Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Until you get to verse 11, and you're like, dang it. Blessed are who? You. Oh, crud. Now I'm included in this pity party. I mean, I wasn't accountable until you threw me under the bus. Blessed are you when? When others revile you or hate you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Woo! So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, welcome. This is it. I'm your salesman. You want to sign up? Blessed are you when people hate you and persecute you and say all this garbage about you on account of Jesus. He says, man, be joy-filled. He's like, can that really happen? You remember in the book of Acts, the apostles are arrested. They're smacked around. They're like, what do we do with these guys? Because they're starting this whole Jesus thing. Gamaliel, like the, the rabbi of rabbis, like the teacher of teachers comes out and says, no, just leave them alone. Because if it's not from God, it'll die out like all the other ones. But if it's from God, we might be opposing God himself. So just let him go. So they warn him, don't talk about Jesus or we're gonna, we're gonna do worse than what we're about to do. And then they just beat the snot out of him. The Bible says that the apostles walked out filled with joy and rejoicing. That sounds psycho. Can you imagine just walking out going, oh man, that hurt. Dude, your face looks wrong. <laughs> Woo! Was that? That was awesome. That was amazing. And you know what they did right after? They went right back to the temple and started preaching. And then they upped the ante. They went house to house and started telling people about Jesus. Why? Because the invitation was from the one who was worth it. Blessed are you when people hate you and persecute you, say all this junk about you because of Jesus. So what's my response supposed to be? Rejoice, be glad for your reward is is great in heaven for so they persecute the prophets who were before you. And at the end of that sermon, I'd be sitting there going, are you kidding me? Who is this guy? Because what are they going through? Do you realize that maybe some 30 years after Jesus preaches this, 
This emperor named Nero. You heard of Nero? Psycho. Just a psychopath. Now you sit there and go, come on, Brian, that's a little harsh. He had some redeeming qualities. Okay, I just don't see it. Because any person that would say, hey, I need to light my garden at night and would stick a Christian to a pole, elevate them up high, and light them on fire so they can walk down their pathway in the middle of their garden, I kind of have a hard time finding the redeeming value in the individual. This is Nero who's going so out of his mind, looks at Rome, goes, I want to start over, so just sets it on fire. And then everybody gets ticked, because I don't know if you know that. If someone sets a whole city on fire, they're going to be a little angry. So then what's he do? He's like, oh, the Christians did it. Everyone believes it and goes after them. This is the time when Christians are thrown in the middle of the Colosseum, that they're martyred for their faith. They're thrown to the lions. They're, they're burned at a stake. I mean, Christians are being so persecuted and hated and killed at this time, all because this psychopath is in charge. Can you imagine if I went back around 64 AD and said, guys, you gotta understand this, what's gonna happen? They're all cowering in the house in the corner. Why? Because Nero's after him, so don't say anything. Just be quiet. If I walked in and said, you know what? In 300 years, this is all going to look different. They would think I'm nuts. No, I'm, I'm telling you, about 300 years, you're going to look around. And in this city that hated Christ and hated Christians and wanted to see it completely destroyed, in this city, there will be crosses adorning the buildings all over the place. Not crosses reminding us of crucifixion and execution, but crosses pointing us to the, the grace and the love of God, pointing us to a reminder of Jesus. Seen about 300 years, there's gonna be crosses at the top of all these steeples and buildings. And in fact, you know that entrance where Nero would go into the Colosseum, that entrance that's set apart just for the emperor? There's going to be a cross that overhangs the entrance that leads into the Colosseum for the emperor. How did they do it? How did it happen? They picketed. They raised a sword. Now, did you notice, you know when the Crusades happened, you ever notice how bad it looked and how bad it was? Why? Because the driving force was power rather than love. Anytime we try to leverage anything but love when moving Christ forward, anytime we try to leverage anything, guilt or power, or whatever, it always messes it all up. So you listen to what Jesus says here. Okay, well, what am I supposed to do? And Jesus says, oh, by the way, you are the salt of the earth. Isn't that great? Isn't that romantic? Isn't that a nice poetry? I mean, there's a lot of Hallmark cards. Like, you are like, you're the salt to my life, baby. You are the salt of the earth. What was salt used for in that day? To preserve. So here comes Jesus saying, you are the preservers of this place. You're the preservers of the world. Preservers of what? Preservers of the things of God. I know it's easier for us to look around and go, oh, come on, everything's going to hell in handbasket. This is horrible. I mean, morality has gone down and we're gonna point fingers at who and what and political parties and these people and those sinners and that, that, that. Here's the thing. I can't expect anyone who doesn't know Jesus to act as if they do. That's like walking up to someone in this room who's never played football. Hey, do you play football? No, I'm not a football player. Then join the Broncos. You're set. <laughs> Just jump in, have a blast. 
And not like the putter, not like the water boy, just jump in, running back, do it. I would never do that. Why? Because they're not a football player. So how can I have this expectation that a person who doesn't know Jesus can live as if they do know Jesus? The only reason that we can live as people who are set apart by God is because we've been set apart by God. The only way that I can live a life that is pleasing to Jesus is because the Holy Spirit's in me helping me live a life that is pleasing to Jesus. So it couldn't be the sinners that are bringing it all down. Why? Because we are the salt of the earth, the preservers of the things of God. So maybe it's not them, maybe it's us. Maybe we've gotten off topic. We've forgotten, go make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey. Stop arguing about the things that God never made clear to us. Go make disciples. That's the mission. That's the purpose. And any time we start fighting with each other about the things that don't really matter, we lose and we're not preserving. And he says, and what, what if salt loses its saltiness? It's not good for anything. How shall its saltiness be restored? And some sit there and go, yeah, what if that happens? Do you know that if it's really salt, it won't ever lose its saltiness? So if you're really a follower of Jesus, you'll always be a follower of Jesus. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And then he says this, you are the light of the world. Not you will be, you will be salt. You will be light. No, no, no. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And this is the part that gets me. Didn't Jesus refer to himself as the light of the world? So if Jesus is the light of the world, how can I be in the light of the world? Am I like mini light? Like spotlight, flashlight. Because here's what we do. I'm be a good Christian. I'm going to do the work. Jesus, you're the big light. I'm the little light. Watch what I can do. And Jesus is going, I never asked you to do anything. Just reflect what I give you. Reflect what I've put in you. This is how we're the light of the world. We live the life of Jesus in us so that the world looks and goes, I want that. That's it. Which means we might have to know our neighbor's names. Which is so convicting because I barely remember. I'm like, I always have to ask Kelly, what's that one's name? I've talked to them forever. I'm like, what is their name? How long have you been there? Two years. I can't remember their names. I might have to know my neighbors by name so that they can see a life that's different because Jesus is in us, my wife and my kids and my whole family. Why? Because I'm the light of the world. A city set set on a hill cannot be hidden. That word set there is so huge. It's not just like, hey, that city just kind of showed up. It's just there and gosh, I don't know how it happened and I don't know what's going to happen. No, no. The idea behind the original word is it's strategically placed, that God strategically placed this. So it says that you are a light set on a hill. It's as if God goes, I have strategically placed you exactly where I want you to advance the mission, to advance the kingdom. So there's a lot, we can sit there and go, okay, Brian, you don't know why my life was so bad. I mean, I have such a horrible family and I don't, I don't downplay that. I feel horrible that you went through it. 
And you could be asking God, God, how come I had to go through that? How come I had to go through this failure or these circumstances? Do you ever think that maybe God's answer is going to be this? You are the light of the world. I have set you. I have strategically placed you in that family because I want them to know who I am. Not punishment. Strategy. To win a broken world to Jesus. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that, you may, so that they may see your good works. Live the life and give glory to your Father. You don't even get the credit. That stinks. They don't come and go, you're awesome. I think your family's amazing. No, you want them to go, what is it about you? Why so they'll know Jesus? That's it. And I'm curious if we just did that, how things would look. Now, do people still need to hear the message of the gospel? Absolutely. But man, they're sure prone to listen a little bit more when they see the message in us first, isn't it? So you could be here this morning going, Brian, I don't think you understand how hard it is in my home, and I, I don't downplay it. I believe you. Somebody like, Brian, we are on the last... We're the last parts of our marriage. We don't know what else to do. Or we're facing this physical problem or this, this, this disease or this sickness or whatever it is. And it's like, I don't know what to do with this. Or we just lost this person that we adore and we don't know if we're going to make it. Or we look around the world going, God, are you telling me that God's going to make this better? And that we actually have a shot at this? And I'm going to say, absolutely, there's always hope. And why is that? Because there's a cross hanging over the emperor's entrance into the Colosseum because some Christians just said to Jesus, we'll do whatever you want because you're worth the price and the greatest nation came down and Jesus was elevated. You want to see a nation changed? We live by what Jesus says to do. We don't wait for, we don't wait for lawmakers or legislation to change anything. We as Christians, we move it forward. Because the gates of hell cannot stand against the church. For we are the preservers of God's kingdom on earth. And we are a light strategically placed to see people come to know him. How do I know it's going to happen? Again, there's a cross hanging over the emperor's entrance into the Colosseum. Guys, prepare your hearts. Prepare your hearts for uh, communion.